happy Friday, beautiful people. And hello to you all out there tuning in for your first sip of the weekend. to your happy hour with Friday Feels. We're celebrating all you working professionals out there doing your crazy craft, embracing the beauty of being human and connecting authentically. And we're your hosts, Sarge Nicole, and we're living and working around the world, holding space for you and keeping it raw and real as we share fresh content with you every week. Follow us on LinkedIn at Friday Feels and Instagram at These Friday Feels for updates throughout the week. In our last episode, we discussed our new theme, Tell Me What to Do. And for the rest of the month, we're exploring this topic. And today we have a very, very special guest joining us to take this even further into a very important aspect of this theme. We're speaking to Jane Sanchez, former colleague, incredible investigator, and wonderful human who has walked an incredibly interesting journey from being a special DEA, special agent, investigator, and an accredited diplomat leading the US embassy in Thailand, and working and leading teams in the banking and cryptocurrency industries. And now working as a consultant in the financial crime space, her work has been profiled in Wired, Texas Observer, and Follow the Money, and even some media productions that are to come. So welcome, Jen. It's so, so wonderful to have you join us today. We are super, super excited, and we know this episode is going to have so many views because anyone who knows you knows that your story is incredible, um, both professionally and as a human, just in general. So I'm super excited. Uh, Where are you? You're welcome. Where are you (laughs) dialing in from? And tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and why this topic is important to you as a working professional. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you guys for that kind introduction. And two of my favorite people to have worked with in the last couple of years. Thank you for having me. So right now I'm in Virginia. I'm a little bit of a vagabond. Uh, I have a place in Michigan, a place in Texas, and I go between the three. Um, Hopefully next being a little bit of a uh, uh, cyber nomad. We'll see where that takes me here in in the next little bit. I am working for Guidepost right now, uh, and it's an amazing company that helps people get out of this situation they may be in if they're not uh, not compliance ready. So uh, that's been basically my um, uh, marching orders at this point is to help people along their path of getting compliance ready, specifically in the crypto space. And I, I've enjoyed it thus far. And uh, we'll see what the the future brings. But uh, yeah, and prior to that, I had a, a little bit of a stint with the U.S. government for maybe about thirty years. And then, and uh, and uh, um, I, I'm glad to be out of that now. But while I was in it, it was a hundred percent, and I really enjoyed it, and wouldn't have changed anything. Not not a day, not a day. I think it's a pretty much of a blessing when you can say you never really went to work a day in your life. And I was. Granted that for over 30 years, almost 35, 34 total. So uh, that was really cool. And and now, you know, again, hopefully translating that into our, our clients and helping them um, navigate whether it's IRS knocking at the door or DEA or um, something else unwanted and, and putting them in a space where they can fix it. And, and that's kind of what I did was fix things and make things better, hopefully. So... So tell us what this topic means to you. Tell me what to do without micromanaging me. <laughs> you know, I I was really blessed that when I started into my into the game, especially my my uh, um, supervisors, not as when we were coming out of um, U.S. Customs, and I was coming out of being on a boat crew and going into DEA. All of my upper supervisors that I had, uh, Foster Joe and Fred Ball, are still with us today. Some of my supervisors aren't anymore, like Thomas Burton. Um, these guys were all former Vietnam vets. They had been in the fire, right? They had, you know, 
been through the rivers of Mekong, um, been fired upon, fired upon and napalmed and all of the things that happen when you, when you, you know, go to war, especially in, in Asia. And so I expected when I walked in with them for them to be very misogynistic and, you know, and we're going to tell me the way it was. And they were complete 100, 180 degrees off of that. They were very patient. They had been through the fire, like I said before. So they, unless somebody was bleeding, they weren't getting excited. And they, I can remember Foster, we were coming out, we had this mansion that we had in the task force because we had seized a mansion off of these drug traffickers that we were sitting in. And um, there was about 30 of us in the task force. And I came out of the mansion one afternoon and they were like, Foster's been hit. So he had gotten him about a mile and a half down the road, and somebody came out and T-boat him to put the put the G ride basically an L. And I come running up on him, and he comes walking out. He shakes himself off and he goes, "Make sure you look both ways before you before you, before you see an intersection." <laughs> what? The? I mean, he was just cool, right? You know. And and so these guys not only looked at me as I think somewhat of a protection level, they were, you know, kind of the dad type types. Um, they also really didn't they wanted to see me successful. And they clearly would lay out their expectation and they were also in the game of making you better. So I would be I'd be questioning what I was thinking. I'm a farm girl from the Midwest. What is it that I'm gonna do or not do? And Foster would look at me and go, For a girl that's never been in the street, you got more gut sense than anybody I know. And I was like, Really? And he was like, Yeah, your inner gut tells you when something's before it happens. I've watched you and you can do this. And those little and, you know, again, again, you get with all of these men and there's this misogynistic sexual overtone, stuff like that. And there was none of it. And they were very much that those mentors that, that made me better. And so, if you, and again, if you were like that, I had a tendency to gravitate you towards you anyway. And I was just blessed that, you know, early on in my career, I was surrounded by that instead of maybe something else. And um, it made me better. I think. And, and it also gave me a perspective. Unless you're bleeding out, you know, um, there's really not too much to get excited with. Your car might need an L, but he walked away and brushed the, the, the glass out of his hair, right? You know, and uh, or out of his hat at the time. And I was just like, yeah, you know, those are those are those moments where you're like, okay, this is this is this is a learning curve and uh, I'm going to be better for this. So. Yeah, last week we kind of spoke about this tell me what to do as a, I wouldn't say a negative thing, but it's like when you're inviting in someone to instruct you how to live your life or, you know, how you might be giving away your power in a certain situation. But I think it's really wonderful that you're framing this in a way that tell me what to do is such a positive thing when you are in a space like that, that people can encourage you, can support you and can guide you. And then and to hear that is so encouraging as well. Um, in the working place, Fred had a Fred had this this expectation. You know, people had walked in and guy like, just do your work, DEA. Right? This is the this is the day of Kiki Camarena and Larcos. This is full on big time narcotics trafficking in South Texas. That's just on the cusp of coming into where it's really becoming dangerous. There's still gentlemen dopers, but it's still it's still it's, it's all out there. And Fred came in and said, I have this expectation. I want you guys to, to target these three groups of individuals. One was basically the Gulf Cartel, and a guy by the name of Carrillo that was there. The standing sheriffs that was there that was we knew he was a corrupt. And then a, a, a particular, um, um, it was a business, but it was a car business called M&T Motors. And he said, I want all three of these guys. Help me get there. And sure enough, within the two to three years that Fred was there, as I was there at DEA McAllen, we hit all three. And because he laid out, we we've heard, you know our intelligence tells us these things are going on, make this happen for us, guys. And when you give me, and until this day, if you give me clear parameters on what it is you want, and we know legitimately that they're doing 
things. Like Alejandro, um, at the time was a, my 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 betrothed. At the time was a police officer in Hildago, Texas, and he had a call to this local Seven Eleven, and it was a trunk of a car, and there was stuff coming out the trunk of the car. He'd drive by it. He was, again, local PD, you know, every day. He drove by it for two, three days. Finally, he said, I'm going to pop the trunk. The son to Emma T. Motors was in the trunk of the car. And he had to go and find out where he'd been killed in the Las Palmas Hotel. And, you know, we knew from that information that the family was into the, the narcotics business. I mean, it was just common knowledge in the area. So the, he wasn't asking us to, he wasn't asking us to look at stuff that wasn't true or wasn't an issue or any of that. He was laying out clear parameters on stuff that we knew was a big deal. Mm-hmm. This happened to be that my husband was involved in it, and he was a boyfriend at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, um, it was it was really interesting. I found that to be. Again, you know, even working for Nicole, every morning we'd get up at Nobody could get me out of fucking bed at 8 o'clock in the morning <laughs> except Nicole. <laughs> I am not a morning person. But yet, here this girl, a South African, got me up every morning during the week at 8, 8.30 in the morning to get on call to find out what we were doing. We knew every day we had this discussion and then we did what we needed to do right you know this cue was working right this seemed wrong this these were the things that were happening that looked like the same individual maybe was part of a syndicate and it was an issue and I although I didn't always love it right you know no matter what supervisor I was dealing with whether it was Detroit or whether it was Texas or wherever Chicago um, or even overseas I didn't always like what they had to say, but if you gave me the parameter, then I knew what you expected. And I also, you know, as a manager coming out of DEA, I think it's unusual when people expect you, you know, as much as Nicole checked in with us, she also didn't micromanage us. And when I say that, she didn't. She let us handle the cues she didn't come back around she didn't question us if we explained to her something was going on she trusted what we were saying was the truth and that's important too i think that you have to assume people know their business some to some degree if they're walking alongside you and they're your wingman right you know it doesn't matter what the what the the title is they're really your wingman you're trying to do all of this together and uh, again I think it's management style. I would think I'm more like, you're an adult. If you need any help, come talk to me. But do what you got to do. And again, I don't... I knew supervisors that when they did stand on top of me, it was because they had an issue with their self-confidence and what they could do or couldn't do. Or they were such assholes when they were doing A, B, and C that they thought everybody else was doing what they were doing, right? You know, I figured... Let's all be adults here. And, I, you know, that's kind of my management style. I just want to set the record straight here. For me, it was uh, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And so I- <laughs> yeah, that- oh, sorry. <laughs> it was. It was. 8 a.m. It was. It was. It was. You know, it was. It was. You're going to get to the end of the day, right? You know, and then you didn't know what was going on, right? You know? Um, yeah, I, I, I completely get why we had to do it. And, uh, and again, you know, I came from overseas. My last duty station before coming into D.C. was overseas. And we were exactly 12 hours difference in Thailand. And people would want to talk to you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That was 3 o'clock at night. Or 3 o'clock in the morning, right? So, um, obviously, we... We tried to figure out how to how to accommodate some of that stuff, and from time to time, I woke up at three in the morning, and took a call because you got to do what you got to do, right? Um, so, but Nicole was she was amazing, and just the, her voice alone, just waking up. To <laughs> the point. But in case you were wondering, sometimes when we were, you know, when we were both dark in the morning, it was because I was just still laying in bed going. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> do, I to, do I have to function this morning? Right? This is all during COVID too, right? You know, I would like to say, say I'm a little better about that today. But at the time, I was like, 
Oh my God. She's kidding me up at eight in the morning. Oh, I really, I miss, like you mentioned the word wingman and I really miss working next year as a wingwoman. And I think that's such a beautiful way of explaining teamwork as well. And I'm curious, Jane, like, have you, when you experience the opposite, like you said, someone standing in your head on micromanaging you and telling you what to do, like, how did you handle those situations? How did you tell the person, you know, don't tell me what to do? Or was it not that kind of situation? At the end, you know, I had the chops to be able to tell you no and turn around and walk away, right? You know, I was that, that much of a pain in the ass. If you said, oh, you can't do that, I'd be like, well, <laughs> take a picture and watch me do it. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do just, and I, because if, if I made a commitment to something, then it was because I wanted to say it was sitting in the right space mm-hmm. and it was going to be the right way to do it. So if you told me no, you'd better you'd better have an explanation that makes perfect sense to me. Otherwise, I was going to come back around and show you something different. And again, that was towards the end of the career. During the beginning of the career, uh, I, I think there was just a lot of listening. I, was it Michael Dell says? Um, uh, well, I, I think that if if you want to grow, sit at bigger tables, and spend time with smarter people. And I, I was lucky enough that I, I wanted to be around people I w- that were smarter than me. And, and absorbing all that, I knew they were smarter than me. And actually, as I've gotten older, I still seek out the room where I'm the lowest common denominator because I want to, I wanna, you know, I, it's, it's not at this point that I need to take in all of this new stuff. It's I just really am curious. And I think that's probably, again, going back to being brought up in a way which, aren't you curious? Aren't you trying to figure that, you know, isn't that, doesn't that seem fascinating to you? And when I was young, it was just, I was curious. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about it and wanted to learn. As I got older, I still wanted to be around the smartest people in the room, like Nicole and Sach. And so I guess that's kind of where, when I was young, it was Firearms instructor, good tactical. You know, am I the the epitome of your tactical chick? I mean, you know, when I was younger, yeah, for sure. I mean, I was in good shape. I'll feed you your ass. I'll, you know, blow you up. Whatever needs to be done, right? But it was more of a curiosity on how to do this and not hurt somebody when it does. They don't have to be hurt, right? So uh, that's, you know, learning the firearms, being able to be an armor and take that thing all apart, put it back together. I mean, you know, I'd do that in a gun store. I'd go look at a gun, I'd take it apart, and, they'd, and then put it back together, and they'd be like, what the hell does that in here? And I'd do it just for fun, to watch their face, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know take, that, take that thing all apart, look at it, and then, you know, it was a new model, and then I'd put it back in hand to them, and they'd be like, what the hell just happened here with her, right? <laughs> so, because uh, she looks like a soccer mom. What, what the hell is she doing with it? You know, being able to do that, and so some of that was just fun. It's just you know learning it, and um, I think that's what kept me sane too. Is, is is learning something a little bit new all the time, and then um, that's what took took me into the financial realm. You know, I had done again the firearms, the sexy stuff. You know, the the corner dope deal, the pharmacist that was slinging pills. Whatever the situation was, I was always, and then, you know, what was next? And when I figured out the money was the issue, when it clicked to me on that, that's when I knew I had something that would take me into my gray hair days, right? You know, where where it would make more sense. And it was really the, um, more the corruption, the public corruption, and then the financial stuff that, okay, that's the driving factor. And I hadn't really thought about it before. We always had a saying, people smuggle dope. Dope doesn't smuggle dope. Well, there's a whole other level there where people are financing it. And people are, you know, it's all about the, it's all about the Benjamin's baby, right? <laughs> and, I, and I even heard that throughout the years, right? But it wasn't until... I was doing pharmacy work, and I'd walked in. <clears throat> we had a pharmacy that we let open up for the first 15 minutes. I think I've told Nick this story. I let it open up. We let it open up for 15 minutes before we walked in and shut it down, took their DEA number, counted all of their pills, and proved that they were, you know, slinging literally millions and millions of oxy and, and hydrocodone to just people that were walking in with a $200 script. 
and prescription. If I, I say script, I, I hope I, everybody understands. And they would go to these fake doctors, basically, these physician assistants, and get these scripts, and they'd walk in into this pharmacy and get them, get them filled. And it was always the same thing. It was hydrocodone, the drink, and Xanax. So it was, you know, the cough syrup and Xanax. It was the same thing. They'd all come in. They'd get that same prescription. Everybody, 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 you're talking about 20 people in the waiting room, and they're all getting the same prescription. What is the likelihood of that in a pharmacy, right? We let it open for 15 minutes. We walk in, shut everything down. And I look at the ticker tape on the register. And in that 15 minutes, they took to $2,500 in cash. 15 minutes. Who makes $2,500 in 15 minutes? It was, you know, the light went on at that point for me. I was like, ah, this is what it's really all about. It's not about the, the Xanax, the cough syrup, the hydroconone. It's really about what's going through this cash register in 15 minutes. So that's how that, you know, the money portion came into to my view as far as something that I wanted to 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 trace. And, and then we took 2000 out of that pharmacist's account. Two million, I'm sorry, 2000 Two million out of its account. And um, he had it. We, when they did the search warrant, he had stuff stuffed in his, like, in his closet, in his pockets of his jacket. He had, you know, thousands of dollars and shoe boxes and things. And I was like, ah, oh, man, this, this, now I understand. Now I understand. It's so awesome to kind of hear you talk candidly about your working experience, right? Because you transitioned over from being in the agency over to corporate life. And it's nice to hear what made you tick over. But hearing you actually explain it this way, a lot of people might be able to relate in a way like they're looking for mentors, they're looking for rooms where they can grow in, they're looking for you know, I, I've heard that saying before where if you're the smartest person in the room, find another room. And I think a lot of people living corporate life might not be able to get a real glimpse of what it's like to work for a government agency and still have those feelings, right? And still be able to thrive. I mean, I know you've worked on some really big things. I don't know how to say it, but like big cases or big exposés, uh, you know, in Thailand and all over the world. And I think it gives a lot of people hope too, right? That if someone, you know, so many years ago could have, there's a saying, right? It's people don't leave toxic workplaces. They leave toxic bosses. And I think that really holds true for something like the agency where, you know, you hear a lot of, you have preconceived notions. I mean, I walked into this with preconceived notions. If I didn't hear you speak on how open it was, how much authority you were given, how much uh, free will. I might never have read that somewhere or really understood what that looked like. So I think it's awesome that you shed light on what it's like for, for someone like you. Like you mentioned, not to play into stereotypes, but you you know, you might be a soccer mom if you saw you walking down the street <laughs> to know that you've been through this. Uh, Jack Ma of Alibaba says that when you're in your 20s, find yourself a good boss, follow a good boss, right? And and a good company. When you're in 30 or four, 30s or 40s, maybe do something like Nick's doing, like do something you really want to do, make that change, and then try that out as to what, what it is you want to do. When you're in 40s and your 50s, do exactly what you're good at. And I was blessed at that point when I was with DEA. My four, I was ended up being really good at the money stuff and they, they let me free reign. I mean, they let me indict Mexican governors. They let me, you know, literally take like millions and millions of dollars in, in properties and planes and cars, uh, anything that I, you know, if I set my sights to, we're going to take that, they let me do it, right? And then they say, you know, Ali, he, he's, Jack Ma said, in your 50s and 60s, mentor. And that's what I was blessed with when I first walked into DEA, is I had those mentors that were in their 50s that were really looking. They had taken that turn, and they were really looking to to, to take care of, of everybody, not just Jennifer Sanchez, but everybody that was involved in their groups. And then he says, when you're 65, enjoy your grandchildren, which is, my, which is going to be exactly my intention. <laughs> um, but... Uh, 
You're exactly right in that, um, you know, I feel like at this point in my life, I'm probably more in a mentor stage. And uh, I was lucky enough to have, like, Stellan that I was working with that I really enjoyed. And he took that on. And, and uh, my my greatest concern is when you're in that mentor stage is that you're not talking down to somebody or making them feel inferior or, you know, they're, they're giving. Again, I'm this farm girl that's got no law enforcement background. I'm thinking I'm going to be a veterinarian when I go to college, you know, and then I get into <laughs> these criminal justice courses because I can't pass the because I can't pass the labs in biology to get through to be a vet, right? You know, uh, math is not Jennifer, believe it or not, math is not Jennifer's strong suit. And then I find this place where the mama bear sits, right? And, and so you made a, a, an interesting comment about soccer mom. I was soccer mom. I literally put the, the the career on hold for 10 years so that baby I could be the you know a lot of people in the agency they start to rise and um they go into a GS position and they go into what we call associate special agent charge special and I didn't do that. I decided for 10 years that I was going to throttle back and be mom. And I was lucky to be put into our polygraph unit for 10 years. And that, that you get to talk to people, so that was a fun, fun situation. <laughs> and just talk, talk, them out the, talk them out of their panties, as we would say. <laughs> you know that you, you did this, but you're, you're going you're gonna to do this. Any, you're going to tell me anyway about it. And, um, and uh, I did that for 10 years, and it allowed me to be mom. I was soccer mom. I was the soccer mom. I went to you know second grade and had little kids sitting on my lap and was reading them books <laughs> and and uh, you know did that at my lunchtime instead of you know looking for the next drug deal and it hurt to some degree. I think you know you kind of uh, disappointed that that I didn't walk out maybe in a higher management position but at the end of the day when I watched my baby girl come talk to me about mom I've got this case and I need help on this and what do you think you know I'm my son-in-law the other day he's with secret service he said mom what do you think about this and I said he's a money mule and I said he's moving third-party money for a fee (laughs) darling go go look that up where is it in the statute and then he goes yeah that is and I think there's a five to ten year charge on that a felony too right yes okay all right you know, you know that's the that, that you know then I know it was worth throttling back it really was for me personally it was worth throttling back and, and being mom for 10 years and and I and I did undercover as a soccer mom with a with a pharmacy <laughs> stuff <laughs> I did I did I, I'd walk in and I'd be like oh I've got a hangnail can you give me oxycodone maybe like sure <laughs> do I look like a cop do I look like a cop? No. So they're writing me scripts for acetone because you know supposedly I've got a hangnail, right? You know, and they're never going to believe Jennifer Sanchez was undercover. So anyway, you know. So. I love these stories, Jen. <laughs> I love how you blended your worlds. Everyone's kind of trying to do, but that's <laughs> talk about work-life balance. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. I'd be at the soccer beats with SARS, literally like handfuls of SARS, right? You know, when I was, and I'd be reading over the SARS and, and, and over the top of her and then, you know, reading through the SARS and, and trying to put, put a case together with that. And, and I, one time I walked out and I left it on a bench. And I, and I just, I was, oh shit! Would I run back in and gather them all up and put them, you know, walk off? And I'm like, oh man! And I think I've passed the five year statute of limitations, so I'm okay. I tell you the story, but man, it freaked me out. I was like, oh man, they're gonna have my ass if they find out that I, you know, <laughs> I just, you know, you just did what you had to do. In the long and short of it, I was lucky enough. And I had, again, supervisors that that were very, uh, you know, really good about if I had to leave at 3 o'clock because I had a, a, a wrestling meet that I needed to be to, I was there, right? And the next day, I might work till 9 o'clock at night, but it was just depending on, you know, what needed to be done. Yeah. I think that's such a nice kind of segue into saying, you know, sometimes when you have management that tells you what to do. They don't always give you that kind of freedom, right? And it's like we we're talking about the micromanagement thing. So having people in your life like a mentor or manager who 
is able to give you the framework to kind of live the life. And I think we're a bit more so maybe now with remote working in that world. I think through this weird experience that we had a few years ago, people are a bit more accommodating of other people's lives. But I think it's really nice to hear that, that, you know, you even had that grace, that, that, that space to be a mom, space to be, have flexibility, have freedom. But I think it also comes with obviously the accountability, like you're always good at your job, right? And you, you deliver. So have you ever felt like, maybe were you ever in the flip side of that conversation where you had to tell someone what to do and how did you like not micromanage them, you know, give them that space too? Again, you know, been lucky enough to be surrounded by those that I trusted and they were upfront with me on what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I think there's a level of trust that you built with somebody where they're going to tell you exactly, you know, like, really, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm working when I'm not, right? I'm 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 at the soccer I'm at the football game with my kid or you know whatever the situation is and I was lucky enough just to be able to create that trust where somebody would tell me exactly honestly what was going on and then let me lie for you let me lie for you to the bosses I'm going to take care of you you know and again I think that's kind of that mama mama thing um I had a situation when I was in Detroit where I had somebody that worked for us that She'd come in, this was me when I was at my end of my career in Washington, D.C., she'd come in to help us write contracts. And um, we didn't get along, not even in the slightest. And one of my issues with her was, you know, she, I, especially as we were starting to get into COVID and stuff, I explained to her that the janitor is as important as the CEO. I really honestly believe that. Because what is that janitor doing? They're keeping you clean and safe. You know, people don't walk in, walk into the bathrooms of businesses anymore, and then walk out with typhoid or something that makes them sick, right? Because people clean these bathrooms and they make these these things safe for you. And I was trying to explain this. She goes, "Well, they're they're not as important." I said, "They are. They all are running this business." And we had a really nice sit down conversation. I don't know if she ever kind of really believed in what I was saying. And I really didn't care, to tell you the truth, after it was all said. Now, what I cared about is that when we were finished, we both felt like we had been treated like human, you know, human and, and not, not disrespected. She ended up not staying with us, unfortunately. You know, we, we couldn't get past a certain level. But it was important to me that she walk out and feel like I hadn't disrespected her and that, you know, my view was a certain view and her view was her certain view and we were going to respect each other on that. She had a different, you know, she was a, had a different, a different view of how she had been raised and what, and I couldn't change that. And she couldn't probably change me. So it was like two dogs in an alley. And uh, <laughs> so, so sometimes you can't, you can't get around it. But I, I do believe that she can never turn around and tell everybody, somebody that I treated her disrespectfully. And I think that's, at the end of the day, probably one of the more important things. And that sets forth the reputation. You know, did you, did you hurt somebody to where they're bad-mouthing you all the way around? And I, I, I can say as a manager, I didn't. I, I felt like I never did that to anybody. So, again, how you approach it. I think that's an important word, approach. You know, it's kind of what we were talking about last week and the intention behind something. The, yes. And you know, you can feel that energy from, yes. from people. And I think that's, we were saying also, you know, like when someone tells you what to do, you know when it's coming from a good place or a bad place. And then you also yeah. are able to kind of look at it from your own reactionary perspective and how are you taking it and what does it say about you, you know. So I think that's really important for people listening, you know, if you're struggling with a situation where, where someone might be telling you what to do, listening to what Jane has been saying, you know, like that's such an amazing opportunity to have a sit down, how you approach that, have an honest conversation. I think that's great advice for people. Um, I don't think people are having these heart to heart, real conversations anymore. Um, no. And maybe they are and people are just not talking about it, you know, but um, yeah. I think that's wonderful. I also had, a, we always had a standing and uh, standing saying, "Yeah, I can, I can be fed a lot of shit if you if you if you're nice to me about it." Yeah. 
really, you know, if, you, if you're spooning it to me like <laughs> very gently, you know, and stuff, you know, whacking me on the backside, then I, I, I'm probably going to take a, a good portion of it. Be nice. Just be nice. Just be nice. There's no reason to come back around. Does that make you feel? And I think in law enforcement, you do have a sect. I would. I want to say it's very small, but you do have a sect of people that were bullied as kids that are now getting, you know, retribution. That are now going to show you how that, you know, what it's going to be. And we do deal with that. And when you deal with somebody like that, you you can just know right off the bat. And my way of dealing with it was just to try to stay as far away from them as possible. Not go into their group, not do cases with them, you know, uh, try to limit my involvement with them as much. You could see that. You could smell that. But I believe that 90% of us were trying to do God's work, you know. I, again, I, I'll go back and just be nice. Be nice. <laughs> what, no, what, does, that really, does, does that really do anything for you to be <laughs> ugly? Yeah. Does it, does it help your soul? And my mom says, what does it cost you to be nice? And some days I'm yeah. like, it costs me a lot, mom. <laughs> like, you don't know these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of what you're talking about is like kind of avoiding the politics, avoiding the bad energies, and also having the support system at work where you could be your authentic self, right? You could say, this is what I'm doing. And uh, I'm getting my work done, but I'm doing it at different times. And I feel like so much of that is lost. I mean, I don't know what your feeling is, you know, having worked in corporate for a little while and what the difference is. But as someone who's only worked in corporate, I I find, you know, that's why this podcast was really important for us to launch is working for all these companies, working with different personalities. I mean, I've been working for like 14 years and the first company that I joined was some of the best. I mean, people there were like family to me where you could have these honest conversations. You could say like, I didn't get a time to do this or this is when I'm doing something else. And I really attribute it to, you know, the boss that I had and also the people that were hired at that company. And Luna was the second place I would say where I really met people like that. And that's why so much of us, you know, still keep in contact. And we know if we reach out, people will, will just share, right? What are you doing? What's going on? What are your resources? How's it going? And so I think that's really important, right? At a different company, maybe with different colleagues that might not work. And so I think that it's really important to kind of to hear you say that, right, that you were given these opportunities because somebody created the space for you to feel comfortable to do what you had to do. And you kind of gravitating towards those personalities and staying away from some of the other ones. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I think the micromanagement aspect, a lot of these people, like Nicole talked about, you have to kind of see where they're coming from or why is it that they do they feel like you can't do your job do they feel like they can do your job better than you do they feel like they need a kick from their ego and I've had my fair share not fair share but I've had a few people that I've worked with that I was like okay well why are you harping on like all these really little things what about the big thing that we're kind of going after and I think that you know, it doesn't matter what industry and what kind of firm you're working for or working with. Uh, if your team members are like that, you know, there was an article about like people working in toxic workplaces and it's like, do you try to enact change <laughs> where you are? Do you just kind of stay away from it? Do you, how do you deal with it? Do you, um, force yourself to try to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And that's usually the first step, right? Is, hey, we're both human. We're both here for a reason. We're both trying to get this done. How do we kind of get this done? And so it's nice to hear that, like, I mean, with any job that comes with different things that you have to deal with, that you actively chose, you know, your family and community within your organization has that been different for you in corporate life? No. I've actually found corporate to be a lot easier. And, and when I say that, you 
you know, if you've got a raid at, 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 at six in the morning, you got to be up by three. You got to be across town. You've got to have all of your gear. If you don't show up on 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 site at you know five fifteen, all geared up and ready for battle, and you got a problem. You know they're gonna they're they're gonna like mentally put you you know watching the cars in the in the back, and and you don't want to be that person, right? You want to be I want to be number three in the stack. I want to go through the door, and you you didn't I didn't have a choice. You know, if if I if the judge said you're going to have a hearing or you're going to have trial from this date to this date, you're not telling a federal judge no. You're going to be there and you're going to be prepared, or the judge is going to put you in contempt. You know, you're going to see the you're going to see the backsides of some some bars and you're going to be sitting in an orange jumpsuit. So how is it? How is it that you want this to go? And some of that stuff, I think, was it was just ingrained. So that when I walked into corporate life, it's like, wait a minute, if I don't make this meeting at five, today, <laughs> today I had a situation where we had two meetings stacked amongst each other and we couldn't make a first one. I don't, I would have never been able to explain that, you know, I wouldn't have ever been able to explain that to a federal judge why I didn't walk into his courtroom when he asked me to do that, right? And it's, to me, a lot easier to actually navigate because the other stuff was just, there was no room for it, it's going to happen, and you either on or you're off. Pick one. And uh, I, you know, so, more so with Credit Suisse, it was a little bit harder in that um, if you tell if you tell people, I don't understand this. Help me, help me understand that uh, because it's it's not it's not something that I've done before. Uh, um, again, I, my famous Excel. Right? How do I how do I sort the sheet? <laughs> Uh, Michelle Hadley was her name. She was like, Jennifer, let me show you. Um, <laughs> just ask. You know, have 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 the... Uh, at this point, my you cannot embarrass me. I can embarrass you, I bet you. But you probably can't embarrass me, <laughs> right? You know, I, I get up in the room. You know, I, I'm, I'm in DA. I get up in the middle of a room at one of those 5 o'clock in the morning things. I get up and my gun slides out of my out of my holster and... and literally bounces down the there's 300 people it's in a it's in an auditorium and it's literally like bouncing down the middle of the the middle of the uh, um uh, walkway and i'm like jesus christ <laughs> again it's that old dark 30 in the morning and i'm like oh man i just brought all this attention onto me and dea right the embarrassment factor of that is like through the roof if you're telling me that you don't like this because it's not the I's not dotted and the T's not crossed and you're over it. I'm probably not gonna get too excited about that. <laughs> Just not gonna. Just not gonna. Because my gun is literally bounced down in the middle of a, you know, in a in a in a, in a situation where there's three hundred people looking at me and I'm like, okay, this is embarrassing. This other thing is not embarrassing. I I'm gonna ask the question, how do I do this? <sighs> you're not gonna embarrass me. You're just not. You're probably not gonna get there at this point. <laughs> the so. stakes are a little lower. Yeah, they are a lot lower. <laughs> a lot lower, you know. <laughs> I was I was at an interview uh and it was kind of an undercover thing here and uh they asked me what's your management style? And I actually and I said, if you're not bleeding, I'm not excited. And it really goes back to being a kid, you know. We're going to make this work. We're going to we're going to figure this out and uh I've been where they've been bleeding. And we had to deal with it. So you're probably, no, we're not going to get excited here. We're going to be fine. Thank you for sharing all of that, Jen. I just love, like, absorbing everything that you're saying, you know. Like a, like a do- I miss my daily dose of Jen. <laughs> um, I am curious, like, um, what do you feel has been, like, the best professional advice that you've received as, as, a, as a working person? It was from my mom, and I'll, I'll tell you this quick story. So Alejandro's coming on to DEA, and he actually, we get married. We go up to Chicago together. I get pregnant, and he's finishing out his last year's of college. When I met Alejandro, he didn't have a credit hour. And he put it all aside, stopped being a cop, and went into college full-time. 
And then, you know, that's a, that's a big throttle back from being the guy that finds the guy in the back of the, you know, in the trunk and works a homicide case to, now I'm just going to be an average student and I'm going to follow this chick up to Chicago and hang with her up there, right? He, he did a huge throttle back. And he had called me in as an intern while I was at DEA in Chicago. Yes, there is nepotism in DEA too. <laughs> and uh, he was our intern for a little bit in our um, technical operations group. And um, I had had a new boss, and they had figured out that they had kind of had on the internship a little longer than they should have, and they figured that they were going to have to let him go. So I get on. I've got a new boss. His name was Perry, and I was on the phone with my old boss. And at the time, there was, you know, cell phones were given to somebody who was special. They Not everybody had a cell phone. And what you would do is you'd call base and tell base to switch you into some other phone, you know, their home phone or whatever. So I call base and I say, switch me into my old supervisor. They switch me into Lou, but in the meantime, they three-way me into the new supervisor. And me and my old supervisor, old supervisor are bad-mouthing my new supervisor, and he's three-wayed in, and we don't know it. And basically, we get into, Perry doesn't have a clue. You know, my husband is really, you know, really smart. He's going to do A, B, and C. We're going to get into, you know, he's going to stay an intern. We're going to, I mean, I, we lay it all out, and we call him everything just, it's just it's just a terrible conversation, but it's it's happening and he's listening. Base calls me a little later and says, and I'm I'm sure there was a particular base operator that I didn't necessarily get along with, and I'm sure that he had something to do with more than that than than whatever. And uh, Lou calls me. He tells me, "Hey, Perry just heard every word we said. The base operator three weighed us in." And I was just beside myself. I'm crying. I've screwed up my husband's possible DEA career. And he went on to DEA and did 30-plus years. But <laughs> at the time, I'm losing it. I've screwed up everything. I've, I've disrespected my new boss. I have screwed up my husband's work life. I am melting down, crying, crying, crying. I'm just a mess. I call my mom to tell her everything's happening. And she says, listen, Jen. Today, it feels like the world's biggest thing. Tomorrow, it's going to be a little less. A month from now, you're going to joke about it. A year from now, it'll never have happened. Relax. Give it time. Just don't react. Give it time. And it did. I went in, sat down with Perry, said, Perry, you know, I done fucked up. There's no other way. I, 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 there's no other way to explain what happened here. I disrespected you. I'm so sorry. Please be kind, Alejandro. And I was lucky enough. Perry was a, was a, was a really good man and was a kind individual. And he forgave me. We got along great. I worked for him for the next year. And uh, you know, he'd come to me with stuff. I'd go to him with stuff, and he never held that against me. Um, you know, because he knew it was one of those things where agents talk amongst each other and they talk shit and, and that he was just part of part of being part of that cycle and um Alejandro like I said came on with us and was with us another it was with us for 30 years but at the time when it was happening man I was beside myself absolutely beside myself and um I took that my mom's advice and whenever something was really melting down around me I was like okay today it sucks the next day it's going to be better it's going to look completely different a month from now. And a year from now, it'll have never been an issue. But you got to go through it. And that's probably the best work advice I ever got. It was from my mom. <laughs> I love that. That's so true. Time time is a, a weird construct. <laughs> yeah. It helps us in our human world. And uh, and I feel like that's kind of a really nice gem of the week for us to, you know, to take forward. So any other gems we want to share before we kind of wrap up? One of the questions you guys had was, you know, what did you see yourself doing 10 years ago? Um, I definitely saw myself in the banking community. That's when I started off. And so, like I said, the the um, the, the money portion of it. But you asked me, what, 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 what do I think I'm going to do from a year from now? And honestly, a year from now, I thought I'd be drinking wine and hanging out with, with Nicole still. <laughs> 
<laughs> in New York. Um, <laughs> I, that's just changed a little bit, right? Is I will hopefully here shortly be drinking wine and hanging out with Nicole in France. So I, I'm looking forward to that day. I and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can yeah. have a little Friday feels uh, reunion. <laughs> Amen. 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 Yeah, I, I could. I um, and again. I just encourage everybody, you know, age is a construct. I've been really lucky to have been blessed with, you know, working with somebody like Nicole and absorbing off of her and her intelligence level and so forth. And Saj, you know, getting excited about your building and flipping and all of that stuff again, you know, growing up in that that arena and just... uh, Take something off of somebody every day, and and get in a room where people are smarter than you, and don't and don't don't be, don't be afraid to not be necessarily the smartest one in the room. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. I think there's very few people that you can have all these different conversations with, right? Like you said, like the the mom Jen, the working Jen, the, all the different personalities that you have. And I have to say, I've seen quite a few of them and I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for being the human that you are. And I do not say that lightly. I feel like sometimes we have guests on here and I'm like about to cry on them. This is one of them. (laughs) But we, I really, yeah, like I really do appreciate it. I think you were the first person when I was at Luno where I was randomly matched up to somebody where they would have like the random coffee uh, break networking. Yeah, the coffee breaks, right? And it was just so nice to just talk to you and then hear about all your experiences. And we really, you know, everyone that I know that has met you is like so thoroughly impressed with the way that you speak about yourself and the way that you conduct yourself and share. And I think it's so important. Not everybody has a gen in their life or in their company that would have this experience and also share, right? What you've went through and what you've endured, what you've built, what you've created. And if you can do more of that, I'm sure more of the world would love to hear and hear about all your crazy escapades, like taking down Alpha Bay (laughs) that people can read about. But it's nice to hear you in this light. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to hear, you know, how you've become the woman that you have by having people support you. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. We're going to have to have you again at some point because they're just too many stories to share. So... um, (laughs) But I guess as a final thought to our audience out there, you know, think about what does this tell me what to do mean to you? We've shed some light on two different sides of the story and, you know, how are you handling it when someone's trying to micromanage you or to guide you? And what is the best advice that you've maybe received in dealing with these kind of situations? Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. So please share your thoughts on this topic by engaging with us on LinkedIn at Friday Feels and on Instagram at These Friday Feels. And remember to tag us using hashtag These Friday Feels to share your stories. You can work with us or potentially have us broadcast Friday Feels from your space. So check out our website or you can reach out to us via email at hello at friday-feels.co. And next week, we'll be continuing this theme. So tell me what to do and how to set your own direction. What does it mean to embark on a new journey where you're calling all the shots? But until next time, that is our mix for today. And we've had so much fun mingling with you. And we wish you safe travels into your bed, into the night, and into this awesome weekend. See you next week. Keep it real.